Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, April the 1st, 2023. It is currently 4.22 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Oh, no, 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 no. That's that's what I'm telling myself now. I'm like, no, no, no. I uh, shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this because I, if you just heard the last live broadcast, I was talking about all the things we need to do in April and how we're going to be so busy. And, and we got the Bible study exercise and we're working on this. And we're going to be working on this and we're trying to finish up this series. And, and you know, I, I think I'm about to stumble into a new series. I think I'm about to stumble into a new series and I don't want to stumble into a new series. I, I'm, I'm going to, oh, we will see. I think what I'll do is I, I, I'm going to just try to address this or at least present this to you for you to struggle with. And, 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 and a lot of times when I do that, I get no emails. It's just silence. So when I get those like no response, then I can at least tell myself, well, nobody is interested. Nobody cares. And then I can just move on. But I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to let myself move on. See if I can convince myself that no one cares. Maybe I can co- convince myself that I shouldn't care and that I could just move on. But if I get a bunch of emails, then, oh, this is going to turn into a series. It, it, would be a, it would be connected and adjacent, at least maybe in part to our long gospel series. It may, have a, it may be adjacent and connected to what we're going to be doing throughout the month of April when we're looking at temptation. So I, it may be adjacent or connected in some, or at least maybe I'm going to try to convince myself, but we, we've got some issues to deal with. So are you ready? All right, here we go. Um, this, this is not to be an in-depth. This is just to try to present a, a, a possible, more of a question. I think I'm going to ask a question about how we should translate something here. And, and then because it would have a profound impact on our understanding. But here we go. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's just do this. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Oh, boy. No, 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 no. This is going to lead to so many problems, I think so. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. And let's try to just get kind of a basic idea of what's going on here. Now, Hebrews chapter 10. I don't like chapter headings. In my Bibles, I would prefer to have a Bible that does not have chapter headings. I, I would prefer that, you know, I don't like any chapter headings. I just want the text. 
especially when I'm doing study. But in this particular case, I'm going to rely on the chapter headings because, and all the Bibles that I have here in front of me, they all have a similar chapter heading because this will at least give us an idea of what the chapter is about. If you disagree that this is what Hebrews chapter 10 is about, by all means, you can let me know. See, this is going to turn into a series. But here we go. All right. According to the Bible that I have right here, Hebrews chapter 10 is entitled, this is their chapter title, Christ the Perfect Sacrifice. This Bible over here, the Perfect Sacrifice. So clearly, at least these two Bible publishing companies and those and the editorial team who put it together, because remember the chapter headings, the chapter titles are not in the original, right? Especially like here, you could talk about the Psalms and some of their little things that come before it. Well, we could get in a whole discussion about that. But here in Hebrews, clearly these chapter titles are put here by the Bible publishers, all right? By the editorial team, right? They were clearly not in the original. So we have Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, and I, and I, I could look at more Bibles, to, but they all have a similar title. Meaning that Hebrews chapter 10 is about Jesus as our sacrifice, Jesus dying for our sins. Now, Let's start reading in Hebrews 10 to see how this plays out. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So the law, referring to the Old Testament sacrificial system, they sacrificed year after year after year, but it could never make them perfect. That's why they had to keep a sacrifice going year after year after year. There were all those sacrifices. You look at the entire sacrificial system really laid out clearly. Obviously, you see some of it in Exodus, but clearly in Leviticus. Look at all the sacrifices. Look at all the offerings. Look at all the things they did. It could never make them perfect. That's why it had to be repeated year after year after year after year. All right. I think we can all agree with that. Verse 2, Hebrews 10, 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, right? Hey, if it was perfect, it would have just stopped, but it wasn't. So they could not be perfect because because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. If, if If that sacrifice would have made them perfect, they wouldn't have needed another one because, well, all of their sin would have been removed. They would have been made perfect. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Hey, that now just, I want you to hear this. This is very important. All right. Um, okay, good. Uh, someone just said their Catholic Bible says one sacrifice instead of many. All right. No, so no, that's good. That's good. So once again, the, the, the idea is here that the Old Testament, they had to constantly do a sacrifice. Now, I want you to think of it this two ways. I think this is important, all right? Oh, this is going to turn into a series, but I want you to really put your thinking caps on here. The Old Testament sacrifices did not take away the guilt of their sins permanently, and it did not obviously perfect them in a sense that they stopped sinning. Right? In other words, it wasn't like, hey, do this sacrifice, your sins are good forever. No. It covered them for a temporary period of time, and then they needed basically another covering. They needed another sacrifice, right? So that's why there was all the different sacrifices for this and for this and for this situation and this situation and this situation. 
because they were always sinning. So it did not take away their guilt and it did not take away their imperfection or their sinful nature or their sinful actions. So think of it this way. It did not take away the guilt of their sins permanently and it did not take away them sinning permanently. So they were not perfected. Their sins were not completely gone and their guilt was not completely gone. Verse uh, five, wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Now this is obviously referring to Christ as Christ comes into the world. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering of burnt offerings and offerings for sin, there thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. God was never truly 100% satisfied by all the sacrifices under the law. He was never truly satisfied with them. That's why they had to keep happening over and over and over and over and over and over. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first they, he may establish the second. He's going to get rid of all of that old sacrificial system. By the which will we, now listen, now this, this is very important. So he's going to, he's going to establish the second, whatever the second is. By the which, the second thing that's going to be established, we are sanctified. This thing that he's coming to establish, we are sanctified. That is spoken of as a, past completed action. It is past tense. We are sanctified by what? Well, look, it's going to state it in verse 10. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In Christ, we are permanently completed, sanctified. I want you to understand this. In what Jesus did, in his offering, his sacrifice, we are sanctified, completed, done. We are set apart to God and we are completely sanctified. We are pure. Listen, we are purified of our guilt and we are completely purified of our sin. We are sanctified. It's done as a completed act, finished, not because of anything we do, but because of what Christ has done. I want you to wrap your mind around that. You are sanctified today, wherever you are, wherever, whatever you're doing, you are sanctified. Your guilt is gone and you are purified completely. You are perfectly sanctified today. Today, you are sanctified. I want you to just, you can, I just want you to write that down somewhere. I am sanctified, permanent, done, finished. Nothing more needs to be done. All right. Now, some of you will be, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. Sanctification is, is an ongoing process. Here, we are sanctified. I want to make whatever else we want to say about sanctification. You are sanctified. You are set apart to God. No more guilt. No more sin. You're perfect because Christ took care of all of it. One sacrifice. Look at the next verse. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God for from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. 
Wow, we are perf- we are perfected. We're sanctified. It, it's over. It's done. I am completely sanctified. Perfect. You say, what? Well, no, 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 no. You still sin. I'm perfectly sanctified. No, no, no. You still, I'm perfectly sanctified. No, no, no. You still sin. I'm perfectly sanctified. Clearly, this is referring to that this is a, this is a part of sanctification that is done. It is finished. It's complete. It's completed in Christ. Because of Christ's sacrifice, my sins are gone. My guilt is gone. I am perfect. Now, we sometimes refer to this as positional. Now, that, that seems pretty straightforward, but there is, seems to be a debate here because some say, wait a minute, these sanctified in verse 10 and 14, one of them should not be translated as a completed act, but as a, uh, as a process that is still underway. Let me give you an example. I'm going to read from a devotional from Jerry Bridges. Jerry Bridges, it's a devotional called Holiness Day by Day. Listen listen to what he says here, all right? Paul wrote, and because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Now, please note, if we are in Christ Jesus, Christ has become to us our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. God himself chose us to be in Christ, who has become our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Right? Where, who is, when someone talks about being righteous, I am perfectly righteous because Christ is my righteousness. Someone talks about being sanctified. I am perfectly sanctified because Christ is my sanctification. Someone talks about redemption. I have been perfectly redeemed because Christ is my redemption. That is 1 Corinthians 1.30. Right? Next paragraph. That Christ is our righteousness is an accepted and well-understood truth and the basis of our justification. That's true. Why am I justified? Because I'm perfect. I've been declared perfectly righteous. But Christ is also our sanctification or holiness. This fact is not as well understood. I, I, I think a lot of people don't understand that Christ is my sanctification. He is my righteousness and he is my sanctification. Whenever we start talking and arguing about sanctification within the evangelical world, one, I think people forget imputed righteousness, but they also forget that I am perfectly sanctified in Christ. Show me your sanctification. Look to Christ. Show me your righteousness. Look to Christ. Show me your works. Look to Christ. Look for, ask me for anything and I'm going to point you to Christ. That's first Corinthians. I want to make sure you write down first Corinthians 1:30. I want you to write down Hebrews 10 uh, verses 10 through our Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 14. Now there's going to come a debate here about one of those sanctified in, in Hebrews 10 between verse 10 and 14. You'll see this in a minute. All Christians look to Christ alone for their justification. We should. I think many Christians don't anymore. We look to our works to prove our justification, but that's a whole different problem. But not as, merely, not as many Christians look to him for their perfect holiness before God. The blessed truth, though, is that all believers are sanctified in Christ just as we are just, we are sanctified in Christ just as we are justified in Christ. I am sanctified in Christ. I am justified in Christ. Therefore, I am perfectly justified. I am perfectly sanctified because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
He sanctifies me, purifies me. No more sacrifices needed. It's done. It's a completed work. Your sanctification is complete. Your justification is complete. Now, I know people, there are a lot of you getting really nervous right now. Just, just here, here's what's going to happen. All right, here we go. Hebrews 10, 10 and Hebrews 10, 14 helps us see this objective aspect of sanctification. In holiness, we have in the holiness we have in Christ alone. So let me read this again. Hebrews 10, 10 and Hebrews 10, 14 helps us to see the objective aspect of sanctification. The holiness we have in Christ alone. My, my sanctification is perfect because of the holiness I have in Christ. Verse 10 says that by the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Note that we have been sanctified, speaks of a completed work. The emphasis here is on the holiness we have in Christ through his once for all sacrifice. All right, so far so good. All right. That, that's a massive theological truth. I cannot, so many Christians yell and scream. They basically want to judge your justification based off your practical, practical sanctification. They're like, hey, 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 how do you know you're really justified? Show me your sanctification. Do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this? If you don't do this, you don't do this. You're not justified, right? So they look to practical sanctification to prove justification. But in Christ, I am justified and I'm sanctified, so even if you look to my practical practical sanctification and you say you fall short in your practical sanctification, I'm like, well, congratulations. I know I fall short in my practical sanctification, but guess what? I'm, per I'm perfectly sanctified in Christ. So every sin you see that I commit, you're right. I commit it. It's wrong. Yes, I need to fight against it. Yes, I need to do everything I can to fight it. But guess what? You can't judge my salvation because of it, because in Christ, I'm justified. And oh, by the way, in Christ, I'm perfectly sanctified. You look to your practical sanctification, it's going to be imperfect. I will look to my perfect sanctification, and you can't judge it or criticize it because it's perfect. You said, but your practical one is a joke. It may be, but I'm still perfectly sanctified in Christ. But here we go. Verse 14, on the other hand, now this is where the, the devotional takes an interesting turn. By a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now they say that there's a separate sanctification. There's the finished one, but there's an ongoing one. They translate verse 14 as being those who are being sanctified. Now, let me look at this. King James has, or no, where's my King James? I got it right here. For by one offering, he hath perfected for, uh, forever them that are sanctified. Now, the King James says are sanctified. The Christian Standard Bible says, for by one offering, he has perfected uh, forever those who are sanctified. So I got two Bibles here who don't put it as an, they, they, they speak of it as a completed action. Let me go back to the devotional. Listen to how they translate it. Verse 14, on the other hand, says by a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This verse mentions being sanctified, the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in progressive sanctification. 
This verse also refers to our completed objective sanctification in Christ when it speaks of those who he has perfected for all time. So in one aspect of sanctification, you're already holy because Christ's holiness is imputed to you and you've been made perfect forever. And another aspect, you're being made holy day by day through the work of the Holy Spirit imparting Christ's life to you. All right. Now, I don't know. So what I want to, well, I guess what I want to present to you on this Saturday is, is the second one there a being sanctified or is it that you are sanctified? Now, even if I am being sanctified, this verse, even if you want to translate it as I'm being sanctified, please note, I'm going to read it again from this translation. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Let's translate it. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Even if you translate it being sanctified, guess what? I'm still perfect because he perfected me. Um, I was looking to see if there's a footnote here. There's not a footnote. I'm going to look it up in uh, the biblehub.com. This is a very important concept. You may not understand the significance of this, but it's pretty significant. Hebrews 10, 14, I'm going to look at the uh, biblehub.com. And the reason is because it gives me every English translation. All right. Okay. Now the new international, um, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. So it translates being made holy. But again, I don't know why you would want to focus on that. Oh, I'm being made holy. Yeah, but I'm already perfected. So even, even if you, even if you look to, oh, no, 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 no. There has to be a certain level of sanctification or you're not saved. I'm already perfectly sanctified. I'm already perfectly holy. The new living says for those who are being made holy, the ESV for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. Those who are being sanctified. So most English translations have it being sanctified, being sanctified, not that we are sanctified. So most English translations goes to that end. Um, Okay, here, um, I'm looking for some of the commentaries, how they handle this. All right. All right, there's some of these go into great detail. I'm looking. It looks like most English translations are going to go that direction. All right. Um Okay, yeah, that one goes into a lot of details trying to explain it. Yeah, okay. So some of them, so most ever, um, most everyone seems to go, oh no, this is the ongoing. Uh, all right. Someone says the significance being what what can we expect to practically happen now on earth? Well, the, the, the significance I'm trying to get is this. No matter what happens on earth, th- this is at least the way I'm looking at it. Now, everyone may read this differently, but the way I'm reading it is whatever happens on earth, I'm already perfect. I mean, look at he- Hebrews 10, 10. 
Um, by the which will we, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So I'm perfectly sanctified. The end, done, 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 perfect. No matter what happens on earth, I am completely sanctified. Verse 14, again, depending on how you read it, wherefore, um, or for by one offering, he hath perfected forever. So I'm already perfect. So in both cases, I'm perfect. Now, what some want to say is, hey, I'm perfect, but I'm being sanctified. So it is my, so what they would argue, it's my perfection. It's my perfection and my position that will lead, that will lead to my sanctification in practice. Now, in other, so how others want to read this is like, hey, I'm, I am perfect, but I'm being made perfect here and now. And what, what's making me perfect here and now is what I have already been made in Christ. But that would make, but that the only problem with that is now it's an imputed righteousness. It's a perfect sanctification now trying to somehow make me perfect in practice. And I don't think, depending on how you translate that, I don't think that works. Because an imputed righteousness doesn't do anything to me practically. That's the whole point of it being imputed. So the minute I make imputed righteousness as the thing that leads to practical righteousness, then it's no longer imputed. That's infused. Now, I understand every English translation says those who are being made holy, those who are being made holy. But whatever you want to say about being made holy, they're already perfect. So here's what I would say. If you want to translate this being made holy, if you want to translate it that way, then this is the way it sounds like most commentary commentaries want to approach it. All right. You have been made perfect in Christ. You have been sanctified in Christ. That is perfect. That is done. That is complete. However, somehow it's that perfection that is now working in you a practical sanctification. It's now making you holy practically. But that, that destroys an imputed idea. That implies an infused idea. I am not perfectly sanctified because I've been infused with something. I'm not perfectly righteous because I've been infused with something. I'm wholly righteous and sanctified because of the absolute perfect work of Christ. Now, if you say, well, now you're being made holy, whatever, if you want to say that I'm now being sanctified in practice, fine, but it can't flow from the imputed. And even, and so that's the first thing. It can't flow from the imputed. And number two, you can't use this being sanctified, even though I got two Bibles here who don't translate it that way. So you got some translation teams who don't translate it that way. But let's say you translate it being sanctified. Even if you say that, okay, we are being sanctified. There is a completed sense that we are sanctified. And there's a sense in which we are being sanctified. If you go with that idea, that's fine. But here's what you cannot do. You can't look at someone's practical sanctification and judge their salvation on it. Why? Because if they're saved, they're perfectly sanctified. You say, but no, no, no. Look at how imperfect they are. But they're perfectly sanctified in Christ. And you can't judge someone being in Christ based off their practical sanctification. What determines that they're in crisis by faith. 
They put their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now they are perfected. They are sanctified. They are justified. They are holy. They are redeemed. They are forgiven. That's the text emphasizes because of what Christ did, they are perfect because they, because of what Christ did, they are sanctified. So even if you want to go with verse 14 reads the way some people want to read it. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are being sanctified. Even if you want to read it that way, fine. But one, you can't say that it's the perfect sanctification that somehow leads to the ongoing sanctification because that would make the perfect sanctification not just an imputed thing. It would be some kind of an infusion of something. That's not, that's Roman Catholicism. That's not evangelical uh, idea of imputed righteousness. Second, because we're already perfect, you can't judge my perfection based off my imperfection. You can't look to my imperfection and go, well, that proves they're not saved. No, in Christ, I'm perfect. So you can point out all of my imperfections and all my failure that cannot be used to judge the the positional sanctification. We'll call it, a, call it a positional sanctification. There's a my my justification is based off an imputed righteousness. So positionally, in Christ, Christ is my justification, Christ is my sanctification, Christ is my redemption. Nothing in practice changes that positional fact. So how do you think it should be translated here? And if you translate it being sanctified, what are the implications there? I think there's a limit to what you can make that imply. I, I think you can I think you have to limit what, what that can imply. Yeah, I I I yeah, I I, whatever, whatever you imply that's currently underway, you, by all means, you can, you can, you can, we can make all kinds of claims about what is, here's what I know. You can make all kinds of claims about what is underway right now as a Christian, that I'm being sanctified, that you can say that you're being sanctified. You're being sanctified. Here's what I know. Number one, you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be holy and you're never going to be without sin. So whatever this sanctification that is underway, it's imperfect. It's incomplete. And I know that no matter how incomplete or how imperfect it is, if I'm in Christ, I'm already perfectly sanctified. And what's my, what's my perfect sanctification based on? Not my imperfect sanctification. It's based off the finished work of Christ. So nothing can change it. Nothing can call it into question. They say, well, we're being sanctified. Everyone wants to talk about the, the sanctification process and what has happened. Some say it's monergistic. Some say it's synergistic. We argue and 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 argue about it. But I know this, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be incomplete. Now, there's more I want to say, but I just want to place this before you. I just want to place this before you for you to work on. Hebrews 10.10 seems simple. There's no, nobody seems to have an argument with Hebrews 10.10, which reads, 
by, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. It's done. Perfectly sanctified. Verse 14, of for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. So again, if you want to say those who are being sanctified, whatever, we have been perfected. I mean, 10, Hebrews 10.10 10 and Hebrews 10.14 at least establishes the same fact. We are made perfect. We've been perfected. We're sanctified, at least in verse 10. We're, 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 perf- we're perfectly sanctified in Christ. Now, whatever you want to do with verse 14, it just seems odd that verse 14 would switch back to an ongoing process when it's using the same, that, that you're, you're perfect. Uh, he perfected you. Now, there's probably articles written on which way to go with that. I just find that, that I got two Bibles here that both did it in past tense. But you, you, you struggle with that today. I almost wanted to do, if I, if I would have done this earlier this morning, I would have made this a today's focus. But since it's almost five o'clock, I'm just going to hand it to you and you go enjoy and uh, let me know what you think. So email me, newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. Just Hebrews 10. Just just spend some time with it today. I know you're supposed to be working on John 19 20. You're supposed to be working on the seven I am's and the seven signs and Elijah and Elisha. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do most of that work for you. So just today, Hebrews 10. What, what, what do you think? 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 I think the point here is that Christ takes care of it all. So now if you say, well, the being sanctified, Christ will take care of it all. Well, then now you get to a monergistic sanctification. I hope you understand all of the major problems with a synergistic sanctification, right? There is a synergistic sanctification as far as my positional or my, the, the one completed by Christ, that is monergistic. But if there is any practical sanctification, if you make that monergistic, well, then any lack of sanctification in my life would be God's fault, not my fault. It's all the work of God. I don't have any, I don't have any responsibility. So you just blame God. So, I mean, I don't, how, do you, how do you work that out in, in church culture? If you believe in monergistic sanctification, you like, well, someone's living in sin. Well, God didn't sanctify them. So how do they get in trouble? Now, if you go with a, if you go with a, um, if you go with a synergistic one, then you can be like, hey, you've got a responsibility in the practical sanctification. which most people will go with the synergistic. But my thing is, is if you go with the synergistic, that's fine. Now you can put responsibility on people, but you can't use it to judge someone's salvation. You can say, hey, you got to do something, right? I think we all know from a practical level that in your Christian life, a lot of what you do is based off what you do, right? You decide to read. You decide to study. You decide to pray. You decide to do. You de- we make decisions every day. Now, obviously, whatever decisions we make, we can never get to perfection. We are never going to keep the law perfectly, which is then kind of a, a frustrating reality. But if you make it monergistic, then you're just like, well. <laughs> now, there is a monergistic aspect to it, but... If you make it monergistic completely, I don't know how that plays out in church life. If you make it synergistic, then you can say, well, yeah, we, we all know. Everyone makes decisions. We, we know. Now, the point is, though, even in a synergistic sanctification, 
However, that plays out in church culture. You have to realize no matter well, no matter if you make 10 decisions to do this and don't do this and do this, from a human standpoint, you're great and you avoided all of these horrible things that create controversy, scandal, pain, whatever, but you've committed 15 other things and you're just as guilty. So I don't know how you pra- even how that works out in a practical way. Because no matter how sanctified we appear to be, there's a million things that we're not sanctified in. So that's why sanctification in a practical way is so confusing. And a positional finished by Christ way, it makes perfect sense. Christ died. He shed his blood. All my sins are gone. He imputed his righteousness to me. So I am declared perfectly righteous. Okay. He is my justification. He is my sanctification. He is my redemption. Good to go. Now, people say, well, that that can lead to you not doing anything in this life. I understand that's the concern, but no matter what I do in this life, we you know there, in other words, from a from a law perspective, from a God perspective, is even my best is nothing more than filthy rags before God. All right. I'd love to get your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I'm sure we'll be talking about this some more. That was just a a crazy devotional that ended up in my inbox, and uh, we'll talk about it more soon. All right, newsif at yahoo.com. God bless.